All right, good morning. My name's Chuck Lee, Master with Team Faith. Privileged to be with you this morning. We'll go ahead and get started, and, and people can trickle in. we got plenty of chairs, so um, in the interest of getting you guys out on time for the race, we'll get started. Lord, thanks a lot for this morning. Just thanks for the opportunity to be here. I know we say it week in, week out, but we really are grateful that you put racing in our hearts, that we get to do such a cool thing on such a cool venue. Uh, at the national level and get to be here in beautiful Ohio. So, Lord, we're just grateful for everything that you've done for us this morning. Would you open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say this morning? Would you just speak through me? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I was uh, as I was preparing for this message this week, um, I was doing a little bit of research, and I came across a quote that said, Remember, nobody is completely useless. You can always be used as a bad example. And I like that, because there are some people you look at and say, what in the world? But when we go into the Bible, so often, I've heard the story of Samson. And if, if you've heard of Samson, I hear about Samson and how he is such a, he's a bad example. Here, here's a guy that, um, that couldn't do anything right, he did everything wrong, and yet, uh, and yet God used him, and he, he was just a bad example. But I say, as I, as I was looking into this, I've had Samson on my heart for a long time, that I want to preach about Samson, I just didn't know how. Because it was he's a confusing story, and um, and I realized Samson is an awesome example of how great God is, and how God's not dependent on us to accomplish His purposes. And for for several years, I've been up here saying that we were created on purpose for a purpose. God, you know, we should live with a purpose for our life to live into that purpose for which we were created. And here's Samson. It wasn't dependent on Samson to be the good guy in order for God to use him. And that's what confuses so many people. If you're not familiar with Samson, in a nutshell, he was about a thousand years before Christ, uh, about a thousand BC. Uh, this guy named Samson, he had really long hair. He did a lot of uh, incredible feats. He was known as the strongest man in the world, uh, stronger than Hercules, who was a mythical fi figure, but Samson's a biblical figure. Uh, he killed his enemies by the hundreds, sometimes even the thousands. And, um, and his hair was his undoing because he had an affinity for beautiful women. And that ended up, you know, Samson and Delilah, you've heard of that story, where she cuts his hair off, he loses all of his strength, and that's pretty much the end of Samson. We're going to take a look at Samson in a little bit greater detail this morning, and it's found in the book of Judges. So when you get home, you can always read Judges 13 through 18. There's four chapters in there that deal with the life of Samson. But the story starts out in Judges, uh, in Judges 13, verse 1. It says, again, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. This is about, a, about 300 years after they entered into the promised land. Okay, so about 300 years they've been in this land. Uh, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines. You have to pause there and say, wait a second, God did what? He handed Israel over to the Philistines, to their enemies. What's going on here? Well, you have to back up. As with anything, we have to put this in context and look at the beginning of Judges, Judges chapter 1. You'll find a guy named Joshua who's going to lead the Israelites into this, uh, into this promised land. The Israelites have been a, a rescued nation. They were in slavery back in Egypt. And God said, this is my chosen people. I'm going to do an incredible thing for the whole world through these people. Leads them out of slavery, out through the promised land, out through the wilderness, rather. They have miracles along the way. Manna, they get water from a rock. Uh, God does all these miraculous things for them. And they're going to take the, the promised land. And God, before they go in, God says, all right, when you get into the land flowing with milk and honey, you are to kill everything in sight. You are to destroy everything. You are to, you are to conquer this land. I'm going to look at that and say, wait a second. That doesn't sound like God. God told him to kill and destroy? He said, yes, absolutely. You are my chosen people, and I don't want you to have any compromise. Matter of fact, I want you to remove all temptation for compromise. 
pretty cool message right there about how we could be living our lives. But God says, go ahead and just destroy everything. I am going to set you people into this land. I'm going to do an awesome thing through you. No compromise. The people, after being in the wilderness for 40 years, there's a new generation that's come up. They're getting ready to cross into the promised land. Joshua is their leader. And he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And the people say, we're going to serve God. We're with you. We are all in. We will kill, annihilate. We will destroy. We're in. We're into this thing. And Joshua says, okay, let's go on across. 19 verses into the book of Judges. This is what you read about. They, they split the land up into 12 different sections, 12 different tribes. 12 tribes have 12 missions of land to conquer. 19 verses in, the tribe of Judah failed to drive out the people. Next verse, tribe of Benjamin failed to drive out the people. Next verse, tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people. Every tribe failed to do the task that God had given them. The next thing that we read in chapter 2, verse 10, after that generation died, after that first generation who loved the Lord but did not fully obey the Lord, who, who appreciated their prosperity so much that they lost track of their mission, they died. Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. The Israelites did what was evil and started worshiping other gods. Wow, just one generation in this thing. And they've totally forgotten where they come from. Another message on, on, on how to lead by example, on how to raise our children, but that's not where we're going this morning. We're looking at the Israelites. Lost sight of who they were, what they were supposed to be doing, and God turns the people over to their enemies. He says, hey, if this is the way you want it, this is the very beginning of Judges, he says, if this is the way you want it, this is the way you'll get it. I'll turn you over to your enemies. You, 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 did not, you did not carry out the task I gave you, and this is the consequence of that. Here's the way you get it. The next verse in verse 15 says, And the people were very distressed. You think? Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their enemies. But when the judges died, the people turned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. So this becomes a pattern all through Judges. As you read through Judges, you find out that the people, they get, they get rescued, they get freed, they fall into patterns of sin and corruption, they lose sight of God, they get oppressed by a foreign dignitary, and then they cry out to God, God raises a judge and rescues them. The first judge that we see is a guy named Judge Othniel. Othniel is when King Cushan came in, he conquered the, the Israelites, ruled over them for eight years, the people cried out to God, God raised up Othniel, uh, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, he goes to war, he conquers, and there's peace in the land for 40 years. Othniel dies. Cycle repeats. And there's Ehud and Shamgar and Deborah and Gideon and more. And then there's 10 seconds, right? Sounds like the starting line lineup. Uh, there's all these judges that come along, and there's this whole pattern of corruption. And, and then they return to God. And then we come to chapter 13, verse 1 again. Once again, the cycle repeats. The Israelites did what was evil. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines, which is where we're at this morning as we look at Samson. Because what happens next in chapter 13 is there's a long section that deals with this one particular judge named Samson. It starts out with his mother. His mother couldn't have any children. An angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Hey, you and your husband are going to become pregnant and you're going to have a son. The son is going to be very special. He's going to be used by God. He's going to deliver you from the Philistines. And in order, in order for this to be accomplished, you are going to dedicate this boy from his birth as a Nazarite. The only mention of the Nazarite vow is found in Numbers chapter 6. And what it says is that uh, in, in order to dedicate yourself to the Lord for a period of time, and typically it would be about 30 days, 60 days, a short period of time, you're going to have an outward show that you are dedicated to the Lord. And so a Nazarite vow is you're not going to drink any wine, you're not going to touch anything unclean like a dead body, and you're not going to cut your hair. 
do nothing unnecessary like cutting your hair. An outward sign that you are, you are sold out to God for this period of time. Samson's case, that period of time, is going to be his whole life. He will rescue Israel from the Philistines. Wow. You think about being made on purpose and for a purpose? Here's Samson. Big purpose. Rescue the nation of Israel from a foreign power that's, that's oppressing them. On purpose, for a purpose. Uh, and, and, and this leaves all of us wondering. It leaves me wondering, okay, so what's God's purpose for my life? In church, we say, what is God's will for my life? What is my destiny? What if I screw it up? What if I go left when I should have gone right? What if I make a mistake? What if I find... Can I destroy God's purpose for my life? Can I screw up God's purpose? Can I screw up God's plan for my life? Well, watch what happens next year. He will rescue Israel from the Philistines. God never said how he's going to do it. Never said anything about Samson being of supernatural strength. Just says, hey, this kid's going to be special. Don't cut his hair. Don't let him drink wine. Don't let him touch, touch a dead body. And on we go. When her son was born, they named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew, and the Spirit of the Lord began to take hold of him, even as a child. Now, I had to look this up. How fast does your hair grow? Seems like my hair is always growing. But your hair grows at half an inch a month, is what they say. So in one year, if your hair grows, it grows at half an inch a month. So in a year's time, six inches it grows. When Samson was ten years old, his hair was touching the ground. Five feet of hair when he's ten years old. The next thing we read about Samson is in chapter 14, verse 1. We're, we're figuring that he's somewhere between 17 and 20 years old. He's got 10 feet of hair. What do you do with 10 feet of hair? Braid it? Wear it like a scarf? I mean, there's Samson. He's known as a guy with the long hair. Just Bible trivia has nothing to do with this. There's another guy in the Bible whose mother dedicated him to God and said his hair will never be cut. His name was Samuel. If you want to read about Samuel sometime in your off time, never cut his hair. He had long hair, but he's not known for long hair. Samson's known as the guy with the really long hair. So here's this here's this long-haired hippie, grown up, created on purpose, for a purpose, knows what he's supposed to do with his life. He's supposed to deliver Israel from the Philistines. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, he noticed a certain, noticed a certain Philistine woman. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, I must have her, I want to marry her. And his parents are like, no, no, no. You were created on purpose for it. You are going to deliver us from the Philistines, not marry them. You're not supposed to be sleeping with the enemy. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that in this particular period of time, this is 300 years into the promised land. This is the first time that we ever read about the Israelites being ruled by someone else where the people did not cry out to the Lord. There's no record that they cried out to the Lord during this period of time in Israel's history. Instead, they were comfortable with where they were. They were comfortable in their slavery. They were comfortable with the, with the Philistines ruling over them because this is also the first time that the Philistines just didn't come in and destroy them. Instead, the Philistines came in and started absorbing their culture, started intermingling, started intermarrying, started introducing their religion to Israel, and Israel, being the weaker state, started growing into their culture. And God comes along and says, no, that's not what I want to have happen. But Samson comes along. He's supposed to be the deliverer, and he says, I want to marry her. <laughs> and, uh, and and the culture that Samson grew up in, he had this set of crazy parents, right? His parents says, you're going to deliver from the Philistines, but they're the only ones. I mean, they had this angelic revelation saying, hey, your son is special. He's got a purpose in this life. So they're living into that. They're all about that. But when Samson goes to school, he hears about how God's a moral straitjacket. 
about how we can do what we want, we can love who we want, we can be who we it's our party. <laughs> Can't stop, right? We talked about that last week, Miley Cyrus. And so Samson's into this culture, and I'm ad-libbing just a little bit, but it's like it's like the frog in the pan of water. You've heard about this, right? If you boil a pot of water and you throw a frog in, he's going to jump right out. But if you put the frog in the, in the pan of cold water and then apply the heat gradually, you can bring that to a boil. The frog is very comfortable until he's dead. And that's exactly what historians tell us is happening at this period of time with Israel. They're very comfortable with the Philistines ruling over them. They're being, they're being absorbed into this culture. Their, their identity is actually being dissolved. And so the question is, can I screw up God's will for my life? God promised Abraham 900 years previously, said, hey, through you I'm going to make a great nation. That, that nation is going to change the history of the world. That nation is going to affect people 3,000 years from now, which would be you and me. That promise is on the brink of destruction. Can I screw up God's will for my life? Here's Samson wanting to compromise. And the Bible, the very next verse says, His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to disrupt the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. Wait a second. Did you hear that verse? The Lord was at work in this? Samson, I demand to have her. I want to go marry this Philistine woman. I don't care if it's sin. I want her. I've been there before. I don't care if it's sin. I want to date her. There's some people sitting right here today. You know it's wrong. You know what you're doing is wrong. But I'm going to do it anyway. There's Samson. Can I script God's will in my life? Well, that's what happens here. Samson, uh, the, the Lord says uh, he's at work in this, creating an opportunity to disrupt the Philistines. And so, uh, and so Samson, determined to have this girl as his wife, he goes over to Timnah. He's on his way to date night. And on his way to date night, he stops off at a vineyard. Now, another thing about the Nazarite vow, not only are you not to drink alcohol, you're not to touch anything. You're not to touch the fruit of the vine, is what it says. You're not to touch grapes. You're not supposed to eat grapes. You're not supposed to even eat raisins. And definitely don't drink any wine. And so Samson, with his Nazarite vow and his dedication to this Nazarite vow, he goes off to the vineyard on his way to marry this Philistine girl. While he's in the vineyard, he gets attacked by a lion. Pretty wild. He gets attacked by a lion. Samson, the Spirit of the Lord, came upon Samson. He ripped the jaws of the lion apart as if they were a young goat. Pretty cool graphic imagery in the Bible there. Kills the lion with his bare hands. Goes on over to Timnah and says, hey, I kind of like you. You kind of like me. Will you marry me? She says, yes, I'll marry you. So he goes back home and gets his parents. Going over to Timnah on his way to the wedding feast. They get to that spot. Samson takes a detour. Says, mom, dad, you last over here. I want to go see if there's anything to eat around here. And he goes and he checks out the carcass of a lion. Remember that other part of the Nazarite vow? Don't touch anything unclean. Don't touch any dead bodies goes over to the carcass of a dead lion, and in that carcass there was a swarm of honeybees that had built their nest, and there was, there was a beehive full of honey. And so Samson scoops the honey out of a dead carcass, and he eats some, and he goes and gives it to his parents and doesn't tell them where it comes from. They go on to Timnah. He gets married. During this celebration, the seven-day feast with lots of drinking, lots of fruit of the vine here, I mean, there's, there's really not too much concern for that Nazarite vow in Samson's mind. He gets married to this girl from Timnah. He's got 30 groomsmen, 30 Philistines are his groomsmen in his wedding party. He says, I think I'm going to have a little fun with these guys. And he bets them. He says, I'm going to tell you guys a riddle. If you can answer me the riddle, I will give every single one of you a new set of clothes. But if you can't answer the riddle, each one of you is going to give me a set of new clothes. They say, well, that, sound, that sounds pretty good. Well, what, what is your riddle? And Samson says, well, from the one who eats comes something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Samson, little poet. He's a smart guy, actually. He makes up this little riddle, like, 
out of something to eat comes something to eat. What, what is that all about? The guys can't figure it out. 30 of them put their heads together. They can't figure it out. So they approach Samson's wife, his new Philistine wife, and they say, hey, tell us the answer to that riddle. She's like, hey, I'm just his wife. I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to ask him. Well, he won't tell us. So they, they, they bug her. She bugs him. No answer. They come back to her and they say, if you don't find the answer for us, we're going to kill your family. And so she pesters him, and she pesters him, and she pesters him. The Bible says she nagged him until he finally, on the seventh day of the feast, he told her the answer. She tells them the answer, and they come back, and they, and they give them the answer uh, that, uh, oh, it was a lion, and you ate the honey out of the lion. And Samson's words are, if you hadn't plowed my heifer, you wouldn't have found the answer. <laughs> I love that. If you hadn't plowed my heifer, he's mad. He's mad, but to settle his debt, he goes over the, the hill to the next town, and he kills 30 Philistine men. God's purpose was in this to disrupt the Philistines. Kills 30 of the Philistines. Takes their clothes, goes and settles up his bet, and then he beelines home. Leaves his wife in Timnah. Forget her. He's mad at her. He goes home and he's sulking for a while. Well, while he's gone, her father, the, the, the his father-in-law, gives her away to the best man. Samson calms down. He comes back over to Timnah and says, hey, I'm here for my wife. And the dad says, what wife? I, uh, I gave her away. Your, I didn't think you wanted her. I gave her to your best man. And Samson's mad. So he goes out and he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together in pairs, puts a torch on the tails and sets them loose through the fields. He burns the fields down. He burns the barns down. He burns down all their grain. He ruins their economy. And they say, who did this? Who destroyed us? It was Samson. Well, why did he do that? Well, because his father-in-law gave away his wife. So the Philistines go and kill the father-in-law and the wife. And Samson says, oh, I can't be held responsible for what I'm about to do now. And he goes and kills many of them, the Bible says. Kills them. The Lord is at work in this to disrupt the plans of the Philistines who were ruling over Israel at the time. You skip over to chapter 15. Samson, from there, he goes and he hides in a cave over at Ehud. And he's hiding in this cave, and, and the Philistines amass their army. And they come over and they, they sack a city. They, 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 they take control of the city, and the Israelites are like, hey, wait a second, we're all getting along here. Why are you guys coming to war with us? And they say, we're not coming to war with you. We're after Samson. And they're like, oh, well, you can have him. We're very comfortable in this pot of water. Let's not, let's not, let's not disrupt this swim that we're having here. We'll give you Samson. So the, the 3,000 Israelites go down to the cave, and they say, hey, Samson, we got to turn you in. Um, will you come with us because we, like, can't capture you? And Samson says, well, you can tie me up as long as you don't kill me. Let the Philistines kill me. Samson's a pretty smart strategist at this point, okay? He's, he's got a military mind. Women are his undoing, but he's got a military mind that God gave him. He's putting it to work here. He's, and, the, and the Israelites say, okay, we'll tie you up. We're not going to kill you. They tie him up. They deliver him to the Philistines. The Philistines are all in celebration. We've got Samson. We're going we're gonna to have our way with Samson. Samson breaks the ropes, picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and kills a thousand of them. Kills a thousand on the spot. Just, just goes to goes to town on the whole army. Takes care of business. Do you think that the Lord is at work disrupting the plans of the Philistines here? Can I screw up God's plan in my life? Here's Samson, wanting to go sin, wanting to do his own thing, and yet God's purposes are still prevailing in his life. What if I turn left when I should turn right? What if I take the wrong job? What if, uh, you know, sometimes the things that we are so worried about, like, can I mess up God's will in my life? Sometimes the things that we're worried about are legitimate things, like their sin, like marrying the wrong person, but we do it anyway. Oh, now I've really screwed up. Yikes. What if I take this job? What if it's not God's will for my life? I'm graduating high school. What college should I go to? 
What is God's way? If, if I do the wrong thing, will I mess up God's plan in my life? Samson did the wrong thing. God's purposes still prevail. Listen, if God can use a massive sinner like Samson, if God can use a massive sinner like me, God can certainly work through your job. He can work through your career. God can work through the spouse that you shouldn't have married and, and bring wholeness to that marriage. God can do whatever God wants to do because he is sovereign. God's plans and God's purposes do prevail. But hear me. Hear me on this. You, you, you've got to hear this next part. God's purposes were accomplished in Samson's life, but his best was never accomplished for Samson's life. God's plan and purpose was accomplished, but his best was never accomplished for Samson's life. Do you see the difference? God's purpose has come through, but his best for you is up to you. Samson, the next thing that we really read about Samson is when he's with this girl named Delilah. Actually, there's a couple stories in between, but Samson and Delilah is the one that we know the best. Because here's yet another beautiful Philistine woman. Samson falls in love with her. He's going over to the Philistine uh, towns, and he's hanging out with Delilah. He's all happy, and he's cuddly and snuggly. And, uh, and the Philistines come to Delilah. And they say, Delilah, this guy is causing havoc. He tore down the gates over at this uh, over at this other town. I mean, he's, he's causing havoc. You need to turn him into us. Tell us the secret of his strength, because we can't capture him. If you will tell us the secret of his strength, we will each pay you 1,100 pieces of silver. We'll give you a million dollars, Delilah. She's like, well, that sounds good to me. Samson, what's the secret of your strength? And Samson lies to him. He says, well, if you tie me up with new ropes that have never been used before, I'll be as weak as any other man. So she lulls him to sleep. She ties him up in his sleep. She brings in the Philistines into the house. She says, Samson, wake up. Your enemies are upon you. Samson jumps up, breaks the binds of the rope, takes care of business. And Delilah's mad at him. Uh, it should be a clue for you, Samson. Samson, why did you lie to me? He's like, oh, I was just having a little fun. If you tie me up with brand new bowstrings, like a bow and arrow, if you tie me up with brand new bowstrings, I'll be as weak as any other man. She lulls him to sleep, ties him up with bowstrings, brings in the Philistines. Samson, your enemies are upon you. Wake up. Samson jumps up, breaks the bowstrings, takes care of business. Delilah, mad at him. Samson, why'd you lie to me? Two more times he goes through this. And then finally, Delilah's like, you don't love me. Tell me the secret of your strength. And here's what we cannot understand. Samson told her, if you cut my hair, I'm a Nazarite. I was dedicated to God at my birth as a Nazarite. Why did he tell her that? Because the next thing we read is she cuts his hair. Duh. He falls asleep. She cuts his hair, brings in the Philistine. Samson, wake up. Your enemies are upon you. He jumps up to take care of business, and he can't. The spirit of the Lord left him. You see, the secret of his strength was not in his hair. Samson had broken. The other two things with the Nazarite law was don't touch any dead body and don't drink any wine. He'd already broken those. Often and early, he had broken those. So what's the big deal with the hair? It's just another meaningless, harmless thing. The thing with us is, is if we continue running our own way, God's going to let us have it our own way. It was the Spirit of the Lord that left Samson. It wasn't his hair that left Samson. That wasn't the secret of his strength. He thought maybe it could possibly be, but eh, nothing else really matters. I'm going to do what I want to do. When we take that attitude, we are going to miss God's best for our life. And he's going to let us have it. He's going to turn us into, a, he's going to let us over to our desires. His purpose for our life will not be dissuaded. We can't mess that up. You can't screw God's will up for your life, but you can screw up God's best for your life. And here's Samson, finally given over. Here's what you want. 
He's led into captivity. They gouge his eyes out. He's blind. He's made to be a slave. They, they eventually throw a big party at the temple of Dagon. Dagon, something like that. And he's at this big old temple. And the Bible says that there's 3,000 people on the roof of this thing. And there's thousands of people in the temple. And they're all making fun of Samson. Samson says to his slave that's leading him, says, hey, put me up against the pillars. And at this point, there's a true repentant heart in Samson. He says, God, I know I've messed up, in essence. I know I've messed up. Give me your strength one more time for one last mission. Puts his hands up against the pillars. He's in between the two pillars and he pushes with all of his might. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and, and Samson toppled the pillars and the building came crashing down and the Bible says that he killed more Philistines in his death than in his whole life combined. God's purpose for your life will not be dissuaded. God's best for your life is up to you. Samson's best for his life was not to be crushed in the temple, but Samson did accomplish God's best uh, Samson did accomplish God's purpose for his life. And as we leave here today, understand, wherever you are, if you've made the mistakes, because every single one of us have made the mistakes, that doesn't dissuade God. God is an awesome God. Samson is an awesome example of how awesome God is. God's purpose for your life will, will prevail. God's best for your life is up to you. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for um, just giving us the ability to listen with everything that's going on. God, I just pray that you will be with us as we uh, as we leave this place. Um, give us a heart to understand you and just draw our hearts closer to you. Keep us safe on the racetrack today, and we look forward to getting together again in a couple weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks a lot. Hey, guys, I'm going to take up an offer with Chuck. I know we all appreciate him. Just give him a little something to help him out. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dave. Hey, as you guys do that, I just want to express my thanks and gratitude for what you guys do on this series.